mindfulness. Noticing what you notice and noticing that exalted I that is doing the noticing. Because that exalted awareness can watch the behavior of the lower self that you've always thought of as who you are. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Michael Benner, and this is Wisdom of the Soul, brought to you by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Sure appreciate you being here live today and uh, any Sunday morning, 11 a.m. California time, that uh, you're able to be here live. We really appreciate it. If not, you can watch the whole video on YouTube. Search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School or listen to the podcast, which uh, is edited. We take out the meditation and we take out the Q&A. So it comes down to about 25 to 35 minutes, um, pretty much just the instruction. And that's an option for you also if you like audio podcasts. And who doesn't? People tell me sometimes they don't listen to podcasts. They you don't know what you're missing. So much wonderful material uh, available through podcasts. Uh, I was just uh, looking at my archives the other day. Uh, between the podcasts that I've been doing since 2008 and the podcasts that I did with my uh, business partner, Steve Snyder, we're at just over 800 podcasts, 550 on my stream alone. So uh, it's hard to believe a lot of material available there. And then there are so many similar podcasts of uh, thinkers, philosophers, and just fun stuff too, entertainment, all kinds of cool stuff. My goodness. Check out the podcast world and Ours is commercial-free. They used to all be commercial-free. Ours always will be, just like this class. Thanks again for being here. Life is but a dream is our topic for the day today. Uh, that has multiple meanings. Life is a dream in that what we perceive as some objective reality, I was going to say absolute, but that's not quite right. Let's say uh, objective reality that uh, we find ourselves living in and experiencing is not really as objective as it appears to be. Elements of it are very subjective, and the argument can be made that it is entirely a subjective experience that we can stand side by side, be very similar in many regards in terms of our 
culture and our background, our education and our past experience. And still, those standing side by side at the same moment have entirely different experiences of what we call reality. An example I often use is, um, in fact, we mentioned it recently, but it bears repeating. If we're traveling in an automobile, let's say, through a beautiful area, some wilderness, a national park, and uh, one of us is sick, has a flu, we're not having the same experience of that place. Our reality like, hey, Michael, look at that beautiful waterfall. Yeah, yeah, nice waterfall. But I'm miserable. I'm sick. Or maybe less obvious if I'm perfectly well and healthy in a physical sense, but I'm in emotional turmoil. I'm upset. I just had an argument or uh, the dog died or... I just got a bill from the IRS that I wasn't expecting, and it puts me in a bad mood, in a funky place. Then my experience of so-called objective reality is going to be very different. So, again, it could be argued, well, reality doesn't change, you change, but it seems pretty inseparable, isn't for whatever its objective nature, our perception of reality always subjective. You know the phrase, life is what you make it. If our theme today is life is but a dream, let's factor in this other aphorism, life is what you make it. That's pretty profound, life is what you make it. And it's easily argued against, but it really merits some insight. So if life is a dream, a lucid dream, life is what we make it, we're contributing to the experience of a reality that is always, at least in part subjective and arguably entirely subjective, then we can learn to be more mindful rather than mindless, less robotic, less automatic and awaken to the freshness, the newness of every moment. If life is a dream, what happens when you wake up? And that's what we're going to talk about today, waking up to a more mindful understanding of what we call reality and agree upon as reality, <laughs> but experience uniquely. Having said that much, let's do an opening meditation. And on the other side of that, we'll delve into their, our, our topic of the day a little more deeply. So if you'll close your eyes and relax, get nice and comfortable in your chair or wherever you happen to be, sitting on a sofa or cross-legged on your bed or meditation pillow on the floor. Meditation bench. Like slowly awakening in a weekend morning. And three, eyes open now, wide awake. Open your eyes now.
back in the room, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, better than before. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, and as you exhale, feel the letting go again. Good. I'd like to talk more in the next few weeks about mindfulness and mindlessness. The only things that we should do habitually by rote are things that we already do very well and have no need to improve upon. That should be a conscious decision, not just something, again, that we habitually fall into. It could be something like brushing your teeth. Maybe there's a better way to brush your teeth. Maybe if you paid attention to brushing your teeth while you brushed your teeth, you'd do a better job of brushing your teeth. But I, I would think that most of us do that automatically by rote while we're thinking about other things. Maybe you've got the radio on and you're singing along. Maybe you've got the radio on and there's also a TV in the other room and you're thinking about some problem that you anticipate having to revisit later in the day. Multitasking, you know, has been shown not to not to improve productivity, but actually to degrade productivity. In working in business, doing seminars and consulting, I, I have on many occasions encountered people that didn't believe that. They would argue vehemently with me about that. Oh, no, I I have to multitask. I get so much more done. It's an illusion. You don't. Not only do you get less done by attempting to multitask, but you're more likely to forget what you've done because you weren't paying attention. You weren't aware of it while you did it. You don't remember whether you did it or not. You can't find this. You don't know what you did with that. You forgot this and you overlooked that. And you have little or no memory of it. Multitasking is the worst thing in the world. Unless you're in danger, you know. Sure, we can find exceptions. But uh, generally speaking, it's not a good idea. Do one thing at a time. Do it mindfully. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And doing mindfully. Pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. You will love it a lot more. You'll enjoy yourself to be present in the moment. That's awakening from the dream, isn't it? We'll talk more about mindfulness, noticing what you notice, and noticing that exalted I that is doing the noticing. Because that exalted awareness can watch 
the behavior of the lower self that you've always thought of as who you are. <laughs> we do that a little bit when we judge ourselves, right? Oh boy, that was stupid of me. I wonder why I did that. Or, uh, yeah, I'm pretty ashamed of myself. I'm embarrassed for having done that. Well, who are you then? Are you the the person that ought to be ashamed or are you the person that realized you could have done that better and really screwed it up? And It's much easier to forgive yourself when you recognize you are that higher self, that exalted or... Uh, you don't like that word, that elevated perspective of I am that, thou art that. Consider who you are in a dream. Consider the character that you are in a dream. I will grant you that sometimes in a dream you may feel as if you're sort of a narrator. Like when you read a book, there is often the voice, third person of, uh, is it third person or first person? That, that narrator voice that uh, is not dialogue, it's not attributable to any particular character. You as the reader are supposed to identify as this voice experiencing Sometimes even in film or TV shows, there will be this off-screen, invisible voiceover, especially at the beginning of a movie. It sort of sets the scene. Well, sometimes when we have a dream, you know, a night dream, you're asleep and dreaming. When you awaken in the morning and remember that dream, Though there are such things as lucid dreams, in which case we're aware of dreaming while we're dreaming. It gets a little more complex. But most dreams are recalled only upon awakening in the morning. And they're likely to be the dream you just had, rather than something from earlier in your sleep cycle. We dream about five or six minutes every 90 minutes or so. And throughout the night, each dream gets a little bit longer, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. And the period between them gets a little bit shorter, just by a few minutes. But roughly every hour and a half or so, you have a dream of about five minutes. So the one you're likely, or most likely to remember when you awaken in the morning is the one you just had. Especially if it's emotionally impactful. And so maybe you recall this dream from the point of view of that narrator. But more often than not, it's much more likely that you are a character in that dream. And you might say, yeah, that's me in the dream. Well, is it? Is your dream full of only people that you know and only landscapes that you're <laughs> that you're familiar with? I don't think so. Dreams are full of strangers. Sometimes there'll be someone you know, or a character that reminds you of someone you know, or you realize, well, they symbolize somehow 
a person that I know. But a lot of them are strangers. Most of them, most of the characters in your dreams are strangers. And the situations you find yourself in, the places, you may revisit certain places in your dreams. But most often they bear little or no resemblance to places in your waking state. They can. But think about it. Most of the characters in your dreams are strangers. Most of the places that you find yourself in are new and strange and different. And uh, unless you really are good at thinking about symbolism and metaphor and allegory, the bulk of what you dream makes little or no sense and has, it would appear on the surface anyway, to have little or nothing to do with your waking life. It's a dream. And again, if it's got a negative connotation, it gets increasingly nightmarish. That's the word that we use for bad dreams, negative dreams, dreams that hurt and frighten us, scary dreams. But my point in bringing this up is that the character that you are in that dream has little to do with who you are in the waking state. That's not really you. And further, what happens to that character that you are in the dream upon awakening? Do they die only to be reborn in the next dream? Or if you redream a dream, sometimes you may fall back asleep and you pick up the dream where you left off. What happens to you, the character you are in the dream, when you wake up? Do you feel a loss? Like a friend died, or the dog died, or someone you love passed away? Not likely. It's just a easily accepted awareness that, oh, that was a dream. And that character that you were in the dream was just a dream. Do you feel a loss? And so if this is a dream, where do you go when you die? We hear this a lot. Even kids, maybe especially kids. Mommy, daddy. Well, religion was constructed two options, right? Heaven and hell. Even Eastern philosophies have their heaven and hell. Buddhists believe in several planes of hell, at least three that I know of, degrees of hell. But a Buddhist doesn't think of hell as a place or a destination, but rather a mental emotional condition, a reality that arises as a reflection of your karma. So you don't go to hell. You live in hell. And we all know that experience. We've all had hellish experiences. This is hell. This is torture. Oh, my God. I'm thinking of those Proud Boys today. It just got sentenced to, what was it, 18 years in prison for the 
January 6th insurrection. They're already complaining about the food. They're in hell. Moldy bologna sandwiches for 18 years. I'm the first to admit prisons need reform. I've been in my work with law enforcement in prisons and jails. We treat animals better than we treat people in prison. You don't even want to know it's such a nightmare. But that's another story for another day. It's almost as if they woke up from their dream of revolution. These guys thought they were friggin' Thomas Jefferson and and uh, George Washington. And that by overthrowing the government, they were revolutionaries. They were going to create a new government. Then they woke up, found themselves in court, then they woke up and found themselves in prison. Well, they woke up too late. And a little bit of reflection, I'm sure that you and I will agree there are many times, maybe not as severe as finding yourself in prison, but many times in our lives where we awoke to the consequences of our behavior. And they were negative and hurtful and full of torment and horror, and we say, my God, what was I thinking? What did I do? And why did I do that? It must have been something I was thinking or feeling. But what was I thinking and feeling that led me to the behavior that resulted in this consequence? And you sort of daisy-chain your way back. If you're a clear and lucid thinker, what was my intention in thinking and feeling the way I thought and felt <laughs> so as to speak the words I spoke and behave in the way that I did that got me in this horrible situation? And then behind intention, see if you daisy chain your way back from the consequence to the behavior, including speech, to the thought, to the feeling, to the intention, what's behind that? Where does this all begin? With awareness or the lack of it? I guess I just didn't think it through. I'll speak from personal experience. <laughs> We've all got times like, oh, I woke up when I realized the consequences of my behavior. I wasn't aware. I didn't think. Or if you want to call it thinking, it was habitual. It was rote. Or it was following the crowd. When I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I was hanging with four or five of my buddies on summer vacation. And there was a skating rink where I grew up in Michigan that they would flood. It was an entire city block. And they would flood it in the winter with big fire hoses and let it freeze over. And then they would spray it at night and make it nice and smooth so the next morning you'd have this 
wonderful, huge skating rink. And over in one corner was a warming shed. We called it a shed. It was pretty big. This is almost as big as a, well, it was the size of a small house, but it was just one big room and it had a coal burning or wood burning stove in it where you could warm up and you could go in and buy hot chocolate or coffee. And there was a guy there you could pay to sharpen your ice skates and such. Well, this place was boarded up in the summer, as you could imagine. And a bunch of us were hanging out there playing baseball or football or whatever. And somebody said, let's go in the warming shed. Well, it's closed. It's boarded up. You can't go in there. And I think the reason was that they had records, 45s they used to play. When people would skate, they'd play 45s. Had the kind of a DJ in there. <laughs> and we wanted the records. I think that was the deal. We were going to steal the records, the 45 RPM vinyl. And so, uh, yeah, we're all up for it. Everybody goes over. Somebody pries the door open, and these kids all go inside. And I stood there terrified, thinking, <laughs> we're going to get caught, and we're going to get in trouble. And uh, the parenting in my home was pretty severe. If I screwed up, I, I caught, holy hell, severe consequences in my house. So I stayed outside, not because I was uh, more moral or ethical than my buddies, who all streamed inside, just because I was more frightened. And of course, uh, we all got caught, and uh, boy, was I relieved, even though my intention was not that of a moral, upstanding, you know, good kid, <laughs> Eagle Scout, or whatever, just because I was afraid. I had a lot of fear in my life as a kid, but I got credit for being a good boy. And I sure liked that feeling. And everybody else got in trouble. Not big trouble. They don't send 12-year-olds to jail uh, or detention or, they, I don't know, maybe they had to stay after school and clean erasers or something. But our lives are full of examples where we just didn't think. And the point of me talking about this today, one way of talking about life as a dream is the mindlessness, the zombie-like trance in which we live. And the point is it hurts to be mindless. Our lives are filled with unnecessary suffering because we'd rather live in a trance, live by rote, do things autonomically and escape in our fantasies. What well, is television but an escape? I'm not opposed to an occasional escape. If I pick up my guitar, I escape or create a new reality, depending on how you look at it. If I, uh, in my photography hobby, start pouring through JPEGs on the computer and labeling them and organizing them and 
you know, do some sort of uh, Photoshop process or Lightroom process to the JPEGs. That's escapist. Or arguably creating a new reality. But are we doing it mindfully or mindlessly? The rewards for being ever more mindful are ineffable. You really can't find the words. Think of the peak experiences in your life. The most exciting, the most wondrous, the most awesome, cool, gratifying experiences you've ever had. You were wide awake. You were like so hyper-aware, and it felt so good to be awake. Why wouldn't we want to live there all the time? On the cutting edge of now, rather than lost in thought, trying to reconcile past memories. I guess that's redundant. Trying to reconcile memory and plan the future. Missing the only thing that's real, the present moment. Again, we think in time. We perceive in space. Our whole sense of space is a perception. It's all in your mind. You don't see the flower. You see light reflected off the flower. Okay? The fragrance of the flower is conceived in your brain. What's the likelihood that two people smelling the same flower have the same experience? Even wine tasters, you know, they get really good at tasting and describing complex flavors of a really good wine and the way those flavors unfold. I made salsa yesterday, and I was anxious to eat it, so I didn't let it sit in the, in the flavors of the, you know, the garlic and the onion and the chilies and the tomatoes and the lime juice and the they hadn't really come together as one thing yet. You really shouldn't make it several hours before or maybe even overnight. Then all those flavors come together. So they were still sort of standing apart. And when you ate the salsa, the flavors would come in layers. Well, a sophisticated, not that I am, I'm really not a wine drinker, but someone who loves fine wines, see? They will talk to you about the way those flavors unfold. I always used to get a kick out of Fraser and Niles and that <laughs> that old TV show, Fraser, because they were such wine snobs and supposed connoisseurs in describing the way uh, flavor unfolds. But that's a level of awareness, you see, that if you're drinking box wine, <laughs> you're not really interested in. It's just, is it red or is it white? Is it cold or is it room temperature? And then you throw it back like it's a tumbler of, of uh, tap water or something. There's so many different ways we could apply this, you know. Somebody who loves baseball goes to the park with 
somebody who would rather be at a football game. They don't really like baseball. You're going to have two entirely different experiences. And the one who loves it is going to be more awake and more mindful and know much more about the game and what just happened. And they're observing all kinds of things that the person that doesn't care and doesn't understand and further doesn't really want to know is going to miss out on. My God, we can't afford to live our whole lives that way not caring many people say to you i i couldn't care less i just don't care well doesn't that mean you're not a caring person is that a good thing you would want to brag about or as an aside sort of uh, makes me bristle when people say i could care less like that's not a thing to, i could care less it's uh, i could not care less I couldn't care less. That makes sense. One of my pet peeves. A sign of people who are not reading. I want you to care more. Care about everything. Be interested. Wake up. Be alive. Don't waste this lifetime. Don't waste this day. Don't waste this hour. Don't waste this breath. Awakened from the dream. <laughs>